Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Started here while you finish off your desserts. Um, I'd like to remind everyone that this and other sessions are uh, available on the SACPAW website, www.sacpaw.ca, um, so you can listen to them and uh, keep the discussion going after our session today. Um, there's also a suggestion box outside in the lobby where you can leave your comments, questions, um, concerns. And also, I, I failed to mention earlier that memberships are available from Lisa uh, at any time uh, after today's session. Um, we'll start our question period here. There's a microphone at the side of the room. Please state your question, be brief with your comments, and you may um, uh, say your name and return to your seat when you are done. We have about 30 minutes here, and... Um, We'll get the ball rolling here. Um, please join me in welcoming Mr. Brian Mason back to the stage. Hi, Hi. Brian. I'm Henning Mundell. Um, the way you um, sort of outlined the um, Nixon deal or the, uh, you called it the um, bitumen bungle, uh, the, the relationship with China and so on. Maybe borrowing from another non-renewable thing, we can call it the China syndrome. But uh, what do you foresee will happen if the Northern Gateway doesn't go through and China's response and Canada's response? Well, it, it's very clear that um, the Alberta government and, and backed by the uh, energy companies and the federal government as well are uh, very much committed to finding outlets to the sea, uh, to ports where uh, Alberta um, petroleum products can be exported. And I want to be clear that we are not against pipelines because they're pipelines. We think it's important that First Nations um, rights be addressed and recognized and that sound environmental uh, practices are followed. Uh, but our uh, objection to both the Northern Gateway and the um, uh, Keystone Pipeline is that they are pipelines for the export of bitumen, unprocessed bitumen. And uh, we, we did get a copy, and it's a public copy, of a report that was prepared by the U.S. State Department and the United States Energy Department for President Obama on the Keystone Pipeline. And it clearly stated that um, if um, the pipeline was not built a as a bitumen pipeline, that there would be a significant loss of investment and jobs in the United States to Canada. And so that's precisely what we think should happen. Uh, we do need pipelines, but they should be exporting finished products. At a minimum, synthetic crude oil, um, but preferably things like diesel or, or other products. 
Now, there is the proposal for the Canadian pipeline that would reverse some of the pipelines and it would end up at St. John, New Brunswick, which has been supported by a number of premiers across Canada. And I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to discuss it with Premier Selinger of Manitoba. Um, and, I, and I think that they're supportive. I think that they would like to see some uh, investigate the possibility of some upgrading um, in, in that province. And I don't object to that nearly as much as I do to um, the upgrading taking place in the United States or China. Um, I think that there's – and, and I will say that, that um, a national energy strategy, as Redford has talked about, if it actually involved um, some cooperation amongst pro provinces to solve Canadian – energy issues would be a good thing. The question is, what are the details? The devil's in the details and, and, and so on. So um, we, uh, we think that um, that pipeline is, we can be supported. It's been supported by Thomas Mulcair, um, the federal NDP leader as well. Um, but the important thing is that we need a strategy uh, that requires investment and job creation in Alberta first and the rest of Canada second. Um, and if we leave it entirely to the economic interests of the oil companies, that won't necessarily happen. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, a very interesting discussion and presentation. Uh, as a former resident of Saskatchewan, uh, moved here in 2008. I worked for all three regimes. Uh, I guess I've always had a real issue with value-added in the regard that we should be doing it at home, okay? And I'm not sure what you have to do to convince the powers that be this is the only way we, we, we should be going because I've seen so much uh, stuff going on. You know, Saskatchewan historically is shipping raw wheat out, out to Eastern Canada and, you know, and for nothing and, well, virtually nothing and having it processed in Ontario and back to Saskatchewan or Alberta or wherever. So I really would, you know, I urge you to push for um, value added in Alberta and get away with, you know, get away from all this nonsense that's going on as far as, you know, the pipelines and all these issues. I think we have a real opportunity here in Alberta to create 100,000 jobs and value added in, in, in the oil industry. Any observation on that? Thank well, you. Well, I, I agree completely with what you're saying. Um, uh, the question is, in whose interest is the resource being developed? Is it being developed in the interest of the people of Alberta, or is it being developed in the interest of the oil companies? And, and it's clear that successive PC governments have been prepared to let our resources be developed um, in the interest of the, of the oil industry itself. So whatever's cheapest for them, wherever they can make the most profit, that's the strategy that, um, that, that this government has supported. And... and um, Frankly, Redford is, is absolutely um, no different than her predecessors on that, despite the fact that she talks about Lougheed um, and tries to, to uh, model herself after uh, Peter Lougheed. When it comes to the approach to the oil industry, um, she's, she's, she's absolutely not um, following the, um, the principles that Peter Lougheed 
uh, set out. Interestingly, the country that is following the principles very deliberately that Peter Lougheed set out is Norway. And they have modeled their fund and their development strategy with respect to the oil industry directly on Peter Lougheed's model. Uh, by the way, my name is Joseph Natuk. I forgot to mention that. And, yeah, and I focus on uh, the upgrader in Regina. Mm-hmm. And that's a good example of how things are working for the province. Anyway, I, I really would like you to really push for that. Thank you. Thank you. We will. My name is Mark Gettle. Uh, at present, the federal government is negotiating a free trade agreement with China. And as it stands now, it would seem that China would have a lot of say in what we what they want and how they want it. So what implications do you think it would have if the agreement as it is stands now gets ratified? Will the province have the ability to control what is being exported, how much, and in which form? I think that's very unlikely. If that agreement is signed, um, uh, then Chinese companies operating in Canada that have a stake already in the oil industry cannot be treated differently than Canadian companies. Um, and and so that means you effectively lose uh, control. Now, the federal uh, conservative government has argued that you s- you still um, uh, have control over whether or not new <coughs> companies from China or or other areas where we have free free trade agreements can come in. But the fact is, there's no limit on their expansion. Um, and of course, Cenoc is a is a state owned company. Um, and uh, it's not like they have a bunch of uh, uh, competing oil companies. They have one big company with tremendous uh, resources. Um, so, yes, I think there's some real threats to our sovereignty. Uh, I, I feel that about free trade agreements in general, um, but uh, the secret negotiations with China um, uh, and, the, uh, indeed, the negotiations with the European community um, I think uh, jeopardize our uh, sovereignty and our ability to uh, implement policies um, in Canada that benefit Canadians. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Um, our provincial government has been really successful in muddying the waters in terms of the royalties that we're receiving in this province from, from gas and oil. Um, any questions that are put to them are always answered by, it's just too complex to answer. And uh, I'm wondering whether your, you, you people have done any work in attempting to clarify the situation that, that uh, is fairly well accepted today, the fact that we charge the lowest royalties of any country in the world at the present time. Well, I think that's true. We do pl- we do charge amongst the lowest royalties in the entire world, um, and uh, other countries charge much more. Uh, and the oil companies are still there. They, of course, use the argument that the extraction of uh, oil from the oil sands is more expensive, and and you know would grind to a halt if we if we raised uh, uh, royalties. Um, in fact, when Stelmac modestly tweaked the royalties. Nothing happened until the price of oil fell, and then they started uh, shutting down the rigs. and And it was more than that. It was also um, it was also uh, I would describe it as a as a small scale capital strike um, to to create a situation and then blame it all on royalties. But if you think about it, royalties are just a fraction of the price. 
So they have a fraction of the impact on on the industry than price does. Price has the much larger uh, impact on uh, on uh, on on the activity and investment in the oil sands. I probably have told you this story before. It's one of my favorite stories. But um, before the 2008 election, about uh, eight months before the election, I flew up to uh, Juneau, Alaska, to uh, to look at what Alaska had done with the royalties. It was very interesting because they showed us and gave us the papers, and, and they had actually done quite a bit of research on Alberta as perhaps their closest uh, uh, oil-rich neighbor and, and, and competitor. And they'd looked very much closely at our, at our royalties. Um, so I met with people uh, on both sides of the House, uh, and they had actually, their legislature itself had gone into a permanent uh, session for a whole month to work out the, uh, the royalty structure and had called their own witnesses, hired their own consultants and so on. Instead of putting it up to a committee, which is what we did, their, their actual state legislature did all that work. So um, I was able to, to meet with them. I was uh, met with the governor at the time who presided over this increase, um, and, and she had her staff uh, brief me. And um, her name was Sarah Palin. Um, <laughs> So my question, and, and there's a picture on my Facebook of Sarah and I uh, before she became so famous. Um, so if a gun-toting, Bible-thumping, right-wing Republican can raise royalties, what's wrong with our crew? You know, Alaska royalty is at, about, at, at $100 a barrel price are about 60% higher than Alberta's. And, of course, the oil companies... Uh, threatened to leave the state, and, and, you know, all of this was, was going on. Well, guess what? They're still there. So, uh, you know, if a Republican administration can do that, um, you know, you don't, you don't have to uh, be uh, uh, Caesar, or not Caesar, I keep calling him Caesar, uh, Hugo Chavez, you know. Um, in fact, Ted Morton, when, when he was there, used to, he used to... Um, bait me in the house when I talked about royalties, you know, and, and he'd say, you know, go back to Venezuela, go back to Venezuela. So I sent him a note, and I said, actually, our policy is based on Alaska, so instead of calling me a Chavezista, you should probably call me a Republican. <laughs> yes, sir. My name is Frank Toth. I was a little reluctant to come today. I have a very sick wife. I'm sorry. And I've been following this malarkey about tar sand, oil sand, oil bubble. The latest word out, of course, is, uh, what, what, what do you call it here? Uh, the word asinine was used quite recently. How ridiculous our oil bubble are resounding up and down prices. Mm-hmm. But we, we're talking past tense. We've given away $55, $60 billion of my kids and my, their kids and their money. What right have we allowed to give away? I taught salesmanship, real estate, car for years. I managed five companies. And to me, the selling point has been missing. It doesn't matter how you get to it. I think we have failed to sell the story. We've asked five political leaders, the finance minister, here at this place. I talk about royalties. That's my bank account and your bank account. We haven't got one answer yet. 
what is our royalties? I have all I know, 10 royalty audited reports. What is our royalties now? And what is the price that Ralph Klein signed with the Washington Guru on Oil? Those two questions. Do you know what they are? <laughs> what is our royalties? You've been uh, there five terms, Ray. What is it? What, well, the royalty is the rent that we charge. How on, much? Oh, you know, it, it depends on a million things. It is very complicated, and that's one of the problems it is to, that exists to try and deal with it. So I can express it as, as Alberta royalties relative to other jurisdictions. Um, I could find you detailed numbers for each type of oil and each age of the well and, and, and so on. Uh, and get you that answer, but uh, you know it's pages. The answer to your question is pages of numbers. I'll mail it to you. Okay, I'll be exact figures. Okay. What's the secret? This thank is Alberta's biggest secret. That's my bank account. Thank, yes. thank you, Frank. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brian. My name is Frances Schultz. One of the things that I would like to express is: Do you think? that the push to get bitumen pipelines going in several directions is partly a response to the fact that there's major oil development in southern Alberta, North Dakota, in Montana, of a crude oil that is much easier to refine than bitumen. Are they trying to get something in place so they can keep bitumen moving before this really takes off in southern Alberta and, and, and through the plains? Well, I mean, that oil is already coming on stream. It's already going to market and is one of the reasons for the decline in the value of bitumen. There's also a lot more competition for pipeline space than there was because, because of that oil. Um, uh, it's clear that... Um, uh, that over-dependence on the American market is not in our interest. So I think it is uh, prudent and wise to find outlets where we can export upgraded products to other countries and to other markets. If we are dependent on the United States and they have a better supply now that they didn't have even five years ago, then that's what they're going to use. Um, and they'll put us in reserve. So when they, when they drain their reserves and don't have any left, then they'll come back and, and there'll be another flurry of activity in the oil sands. So, um, and that's where they thought we were. That's where everybody thought we were, that the conventional oil um, and natural gas um, was largely uh, depleted. There weren't going to be any new major fines and so on. And the, the, ta the, the fracking technologies, of course, uh, brought large volumes of both gas and oil um, uh, on, onto the market. So Alberta is no longer... Uh, got a monopoly on on the supply of oil, um, at least for the North American market. So it, it is, in my view, important um, uh, in a staged and responsible way uh, to ensure that we have other markets in the United States for the export of our products. Um, but um, so yes, I think the answer to your question is yes. Um, they are looking for other markets, but quite frankly, they're still very prepared to sh ship the raw bitumen. You know, if they can get a pipeline to China, they'll send them as much bitumen as they want. Yes. Hi, my name is Debbie Gregorash. 
Meanwhile, back at the tar sands, there's millions and millions and millions of barrels of toxic waste sitting beside the Athabasca River and seeping into the underground, the, into the groundwater. And there are people still dying of cancer downstream from the tar sands. Does the NDP have anything to say about that? And are there any discussions with the conservatives or anything, or oil yeah. companies? Yeah. We've actually pressed the, the government very hard on that. We want a plan to clean up the, the um, uh, uh, settling ponds. Um, uh, at the, in fact, we, th we think that we should put in place a, a long-term plan to eliminate them completely. And there is new technology that's being developed that would involve the use of dry tailings, for example, and so on. Um, but we think it's, a, it's an environmental disaster um, waiting to happen, uh, especially at Suncor. There's a massive earth dam, one of the biggest dams in the world, uh, holding back one of these huge tailing ponds directly on the banks of the Athabasca River. If anything ever happened there, then it would completely destroy the ecosystem all the way down to the Mackenzie Delta. And um, that would be that would be a, a terrible disaster. So uh, part of the advantage of going a bit slower or considerably slower with the development is that you can also put in place um, much more rigorous environmental measures. We've been very strongly supportive of um, the uh, efforts of David Schindler and others to get a world-class um, water monitoring system in place, which the federal and provincial governments uh, promised to do, um, I think, about a year or a year and a half ago. They made a, a solemn commitment to do that. As far as we're aware, no significant progress has yet been made in implementing that program. Uh, Mr. Mason, I'm Trevor Page. <coughs> I think you said in your presentation that the oil in industry contributes roughly 30% of Alberta's budget. Uh, royalty revenue. Royalty revenue. Yes. So the industry itself probably contributes more. And I think you also said there's a need to diversify our resource base. How would you diversify it? In what areas would you invest so that there's more income coming in from non-oil sources? Well, I, I think we've, we've talked about the first uh, step, and that is to put in place measures to make it more economic for oil companies to uh, upgrade here in Alberta. Um, uh, the other aspect of our plan is to use a portion of higher royalties, and we would significantly increase royalties on, on oil sands operations. Um, to put a significant amount aside, a fund of $20 billion to be built up over uh, several years to fund research and development into renewable energy. So what we see really is the opportunity with these resources that we have now to transition the economy of the province towards renewable energy and maintain Alberta's position as a, as a leader or a center of energy um, uh, economics in, in the country. Um, but there's going to come a time when we're no longer able to market those products uh, because of uh, international climate change. That won't be a decision made here in Alberta or even in Canada. That decision will be made internationally. And if we don't prepare now for that time, um, then we're going to end up as basically a ghost town. And uh, I think that uh, uh, we have a responsibility to be forward-looking with respect to that. And Alberta is ideally placed, as you know, living in southern Alberta, with sun and uh, wind um, to 
to develop those forms of energy. But I think much more research has to be done in order to find ways to make it more economic and more reliable. Um, and I think that we could become and should become a leader in renewable energy technology, including the commercialization of the technology and investment in, um, in energy project production products or projects, I'm sorry. Not agriculture? Sure. Lots of things. Um, one, uh, one, of the, one of the things, um, and, and I think to be fair, they have made a certain amount of progress in terms of diversification in agriculture in Alberta. Um, but if I can get back to a petrochemical industry, when um, uh, Lougheed was there, they put in place a, a, a law that, or a regulation, requiring them to strip out the volatile chemicals from the natural gas before they exported it to the United States. And these are the, the, the building blocks of, uh, of the petrochemical in industry. Under Klein, they changed the rule, allowing them to um, uh, retain those uh, volatile hydrocarbons um, in the gas that they exported. So they started uh, putting chemical plants in, in the United States based on our natural gas, um, and, of course, in Edmonton, right across from my constituency, um, they shut down the Selenese plant because it was based on um, relatively low-cost natural gas and those, those sorts of chemicals. Thanks, Brian, for your time today. I'm Mary Shillington. I wanted to change the focus for a moment, at having attended the hearing yesterday and hearing from the students from the university and their concerns about tuition rates and also thinking about the promises about more schools uh, and uh, hearing some stories about uh, Fort Mac and, and the lack of school, enough schools there and funding for them. Mm -hmm. Can you comment on that, th those broken promises and the concern about t tuition increases and, and schools not being built and, and lack of funding for yes. school boards? Yes, happy to do so. Uh, the uh, students that we heard from, from the University of Lethbridge Students' Union were very concerned that the cap on tuition would be lost um, uh, in the upcoming budget. And, of course, the accessibility of our post-secondary institutions is very important, and much of it has been lost, especially in, uh, for, for example, in Edmonton and Calgary, uh, University of Alberta and University of Calgary, um, differential fees for uh, professional faculties are sky high. Um, but student debt is a certainly a significant um, uh, issue. Um, so uh, the other thing that they've done is allowed non-instructional mandatory fees, which are essentially to a way around the tuition cap. It's a loophole that allows universities and colleges to raise those, those fees. Um, so that, I think, is, uh, is one of the concerns that we heard. Um, and um, uh, new schools, there are probably going to be some new schools um, they're probably going to be the P3 model, which is a way of incurring debt without it appearing on your books um, because it's a long-term obligation um, to, uh, to private companies. So um, I think the best information we have is that they are going to borrow heavily for capital expenditures um, and um, that they are going to maintain... A, f a certain amount of investment in new physical facilities. So we may see some new schools, um, 
but I don't think they're going to be able to keep their promise to build 50 new schools and refurbish 70 more. You know, one of the things we've heard as we come to these communities that people tell us, we haven't had a new school in, uh, where where was it? Was it Medicine Hat in, in over 20 years? We heard the same thing in Fort McMurray, that um, they hadn't had a new school in 26 years. Um, and, you know, you look at the growth that's taking place in... Um, in Fort McMurray. So all of those things need to need to be addressed. Yes, sir. Douglas Mitchell, I just want to also change gears and get back to the taxation question and uh, how it might affect us as individuals. And you mentioned uh, 200,000 as being yeah. uh, the rich people. Um, I don't make that, but uh, I still feel I'm quite well endowed. And I wonder, there are also things like the GST. I wonder if you could give us a brief synopsis of how you feel that we, should, we as individuals should be taxed, whether it should be directly through income tax or through other fees and yes. services. Sure. Uh, pleased to do that. We, uh, we favor uh, reversing the tax cuts of the Klein period uh, as the first step. So, in other words, the restoration of a progressive income tax. What we said during the election was uh, uh, we set a threshold of $250,000 uh, annual income and put a surcharge on that. I think we could, we could have a discussion with Albertans about uh, an actual um, proper uh, progressive income tax um, that might involve uh, a number of levels uh, of, of t a taxation. Um, but we're certainly in favor of a progressive one instead of a flat tax. Um, and uh, I mentioned corporate taxes. I, uh, I don't think um, that a sales tax is, is needed right now, nor do I think it's the best way to, to deal with it. It, um, it is a tax that hits middle-income and lower-income uh, families proportionately more because if somebody, for example, has four times the income of, of of someone else, they 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 won't necessarily spend on on goods and services four times as much. They might spend twice as much, but it allows them then to to be uh, insulated from the tax on their on their uh, much higher income, and and that's why. And it came through clearly in the panel discussions with all of the economists um, at the economic summit in Calgary. That um, that's what they wanted. That higher income people then can can in, invest more in their retirement and their savings and so on because um, those those higher incomes are not taxed. Um, uh, they're only their consumption is taxed. So so we're not in favor of that, and we're certainly not in favor of restoring um, the health care premium. Uh, health care premium was charged. Every family paid the same amount regardless of their income. Uh, so it is a it was worse than a flat tax because it's not a fixed percentage; it's an actual fixed amount, dollar amount that that everyone had to pay, um, and it wasn't for healthcare at all. It was um, it was uh, it went to general revenues, so they used it to pave roads and um, uh, you know uh, pay for schools and everything else. It, it has absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, so we're not in favor of restoring that. We're getting. We're getting close to the end of our time here, but we have two more questions um, <coughs> that we'll take here. If we can keep our questions brief and our answers brief to get everyone through. Well, Thank that's you. That's hard. <laughs> Mark Sandylands is my name, uh, for anyone who doesn't know me. The, uh, 
I can, I can kind of hear people saying to themselves here and, and maybe uh, if they're watching on TV or listening on interne- on the Internet, well, the NDP has great policies, uh, but uh, we all know that NDP governments uh, run big deficits and uh, spend like crazy. Uh, do you have any comment on that observation? Briefly, eh? Briefly? As briefly as possible. Uh, sure. Uh, I, I know that um, some research was done a couple of years ago across the board on which governments were most fiscally responsible. They went back about 25 years, looked at all the provincial and all the federal governments, and then compared their records by by political party. I do not have the numbers here, uh, but they found that of all governments, the governments that had the most balanced budgets were NDP governments followed closely by progressive conservative budgets and trailed very badly by liberal governments. And so that was the, the, the actual research that was done. We, um, we have a policy of balanced budgets in our party. Uh, we have a policy of not only fair taxation, but also competitive taxation. So we've adopted a stance that's, that I think is, is um, responsible uh, and sustainable um, and can give us the services that we want uh, and need in this province um, without deficits and without um, imposing things like sales taxes. Uh, Gerald Wobick, uh, I'd like to get back just for a second to this petunium bungle that you talk about. I have heard, including here, that our, uh, the reclamation costs and the money that's been put aside to reclaim is only a pittance compared to what the actual cost would be. Uh, how would you uh, go about curing this? Because the oil companies will regard that as another tax if you increase. Mm-hmm. But there is a terrible deficit, is my understanding, in reclamation money. Thank well, I, th- you. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and a part of the uh, reason for higher... Oh, Part of the use of higher royalties, as 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 we would see it, um, is to uh, make sure that the industry, the people who are creating this mess, are paying for uh, accelerated reclamation and uh, and cleanup. I know a few years ago the Auditor General um, gave a figure for the um, uh, the unbudgeted. Um, requirement to clean up just conventional oil and gas. Uh, and gave a figure of $2 billion in the province of Alberta. So that is a, uh, that is, um, um, I, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the word. You, they apply it to pensions when, when you're, you don't have enough money to cover the pensions. This is the, this is the, unfunded liability. Thank you, Mark. Um, this is the unfunded liability. Um, with respect to the cleanup of conventional oil and gas in this province. Um, and uh, they're not charging the companies um, uh, uh, enough to, to cover that, and that needs to change. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate very much your attention. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Brian Mason. Um, and I forgot to mention earlier, next, uh, next week's speaker is Raj Sherman, leader of the Liberal Party, and he'll be addressing the health inquiry. So come back next week for that. Thank you. Oh. 
Sorry. We also have a special session on Wednesday, February 27th uh, with Tom Flanagan, who will look at um, reconsidering the Indian Act at the University of Lethbridge. Thank you.